Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, in the next few moments, I want to talk to you just briefly about um, God speaking to you and leading you in a certain respect or area of your life. Oftentimes, the way God speaks to us is he does it by way of our desires. Um, I have found it to be true that if I'm walking with the Lord, it would be very rare that God asks me to do things I don't want to do. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 37 um, that if we uh, commit our way to the Lord and trust in him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. So part of the way that God speaks to me is he puts things in my heart that I desire, and as I desire those things and pray for those things, then those things happen. And, and often a matter of doing God's will is simply, if you're walking with him, following the desires he's put in your heart. Then there are times that God speaks to us about things he wants us to do that we may not have thought of, or maybe we know he has spoken to us and we've not dealt with it, or maybe God is just bringing us to a place where God is, is testing us. I'm not talking about tempting us. He's testing us so that we can see where our heart is. He already knows. He doesn't have to do anything for him to know because he knows our heart full well all the time. Even when we think we know our heart, uh, we have to remember that Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The very next verse says, I, the Lord, know the heart. He knows what's in us. So when the test comes, the test is never for God to find out where we're at. It's always for us to find out where we're at. Sometimes you take a test, or generally a test is so you can see what you know. So you can see where you're at, what you've learned. Spiritually, at times, God gives a test because he wants us to see in a very clear way where we're at in our commitment to following him. So there are times that God calls for obedience in our life, either by putting his, his finger on an area of our life. Sometimes there are things that are not sinful they have just become inordinately important to us, and God wants a realignment of our priorities, and so he says, I want you to give that up. I want you to stop doing that. Could be a hobby, could be something that takes a lot of your time, could be something that you've just fallen into the, to the trap of doing that, so it, it could be you know, you go home, you veg out in front of the TV, and he's like, that's not good for you, that's not good for your family, and you need, to, you need to knock it off. I want you to give that up. The question is, what will you do in that moment? Sometimes it has to do with things that maybe in our following of Christ we've not yet fully embraced. So for some, it could be relative to your finances. Where God is saying, listen, I want you to trust me with your finances, and you do that sporadically, but you've never really committed to tithing, and tithing is, is clearly a part of not just the old covenant, but the new covenant. Jesus endorsed the tithe and said you should tithe, but don't neglect justice and mercy. So for some, it's a step of faith and faithfulness relative to your finances. For some, it, it might be 
that you're a believer, but you're dating an unbeliever. And God is saying, you felt uneasy about it. Now you hear me talking about it, and you're like, oh, snap. Because God is telling you, time for that to go. That person is not helping you. For every story of missionary dating that I hear, uh, you know, I hear 10,000 of heartbreak. And the wise thing to do is when you know somebody's not walking with the Lord, even if you care for them, the thing to do is to say, bye, I'll be praying for you and see what they do. I mean, when Debbie and I were dating, you know, I, I said I, I, on Sunday, it was the 45th anniversary of me meeting her. I met her on my 16th birthday. And um, I, I went to Sunday school, but not to church, only because they, the Assemblies of God Church had a very active youth program. And so I would, I would blow in and out of there with my brother, but we were never really serious about it. And every now and then, my sisters would tell me stories about the rapture coming and try to scare us. And, and you know, they'd be at church late on Sunday night. You'd think, man, boy. But then I'd call the church, and when the head usher answered the phone, I was like, they're all there. <laughs> you know, I mean, so don't think that when you tell people about the rapture, you don't, you're not thinking about it, you know? Anyway, I, when I met Debbie, I wasn't walking with the Lord, wasn't serving the Lord, and so when I, when I, saw, when I saw her, I was um, immediately, you know, just really drawn to her, and... and um, so I told my sister, because my sister knew her better than I did at that point. I said, I'm going to take her out. My sister like, she ain't going to go out with you. And, and um, I said, why? You don't go to church. I said, I can go to church, you know, if that's all it takes. So I knew she was going to move there in three weeks. So I was like, I got to get my track record going. So, I mean, I was there before she got there, because otherwise people would think. Um, so anyway, like the pastor met me at the door, and he, you know, a little church, and it was like two or three weeks into it. He's like, John, I'm on to you. And I said, really, how's that? He said, you don't have salvation, you have galvation. And, um, but Debbie didn't know that. So I was doing the deal, taking her out. But about six months into it, she was like, this, this is not all lining up. And she was like, bye. And she dumped me. I mean, she was like, see you later, alligator. And so... I, then what happened is when she did that, I kept going to church, not because she was there, because she wouldn't have anything to do with me, but because the Lord began to work in my heart. And it was a few months later, I gave my heart to Christ and really began to follow the Lord with all of my heart. All of that to say, I wasn't in my notes, but I think there's some here in your dating people who are unbelievers, and that's a trap and that's not God's best for you, and you, if you want to see them get saved, trust God to do that, and let God work in their life. They've seen Christ in you, but you're not going to be able to um, have the kind of godly mate you want by trying to date them into salvation or rope them into that. You need to let the Holy Spirit do that. There, there are some, and you're living, you're, you're, you're involved with people and immorality, or you're, you've got practices going in your life, and the, and the Lord is asking you to give that up. So whatever it is, there are times when the Lord speaks to us, 
and, and very clearly wants us to make a decision on whether we're going to listen to him or we're going to do our own thing. And that really shows us instantly where we're at with the Lord. What I want you to notice, though, is that when you and I uh, choose to obey the Lord, we think sometimes that a lot of times when we can't see what God's got for us, then people get stopped at the question, well, I don't understand, and why would God do that? And we're so busy asking questions rather than obeying, and that too is a trap. Probably the greatest story of obedience is in Genesis chapter 22, where you have the story of Abraham, and it says sometime later God tested Abraham. Again, it's not because God wants to find out what's in Abraham. He wants Abraham to see what's in himself. He said to him, Abraham, here I, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So here's Abraham, and he has Isaac. He's waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. God has said, Isaac is the one through whom I'm going to bless all of humanity. Now, let me say this, because especially with uh, younger people, so you say, well, who are you talking about? Anybody younger than me? Um, but especially with people in their 40s and down, early 40s and down. So we're talking millennials and uh, Gen Xers and Gen Zers. They read this story, and this is one thing that causes them to check out. They're like, I could never serve a God who would advocate sacrificing his son. I'm, I'm out on that. What kind of God would ever do that? So I think what we have to do is we have to get a hold of ourselves, and we have to say, listen, this is written in a day and an age that's different than our own. So there was not the same values there was not the same uh, societal views. There was not the understanding that we have today. In that day, it would have been very understandable that you would offer your child as a sacrifice. The pagans did it all the time. In fact, the Jewish people serving pagan gods right outside of Jerusalem, in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, it's also called in the book of Jeremiah, the Valley of Topeth, the Valley of the Drums. They would sacrifice their children in the fire, and they played drums to drown out the screaming of the children. So it was done, and the reason why it was done is because in that day, they weren't individualistic like we are. When we have the idea, you know, we think of our future and our prosperity and what we want to do and where we want to go and how it affects us. In that day, you didn't think about yourself, you thought about your family. And the community was more important than the individual. Because if the family didn't do well, nobody was going to do well. And so as the father, you had a responsibility to care for the family. And as children, you had the responsibility to do whatever contributed to the well-being of the family. And the ancients believed that child sacrifice benefited the family. So in a pagan view, this, when pagans read this or saw that, they would not have had any trouble with it. Abraham would have understood that if he were, now if God had said sacrifice Sarah, then that would have been completely out of the norm to do that with your wife. That would be bizarre to them. 
So here is, here is Abraham, and God is saying, I want you to do what you know is done in the society, and God doesn't explain himself. You see, there's times God asks us to do things, and there's no explanation. Abraham had to have as many questions as you can possibly imagine. Why and how? And I thought he was the promise. And if he's the promise, then, then what happens to all of that? I mean, all of these things are going through Abraham's mind and more. And yet we read this in verse 4, 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Here's what I want you to notice. God tells him to do it the next morning. Abraham is, okay, we're going to do it. I mean, one night, and he's, he's up the next day. He's making the three-day journey. Here's what you'll find. The longer you and I wait to obey God, the harder it will be to do what we know he's asked us to do. Obedience is easiest when it's immediate. But when we delay all the excuses, all the arguments, and how many people really miss doing the will of God that would have benefited them, as we're going to see, because they're so busy trying to figure out God's will, understand God's will, when God never asks that of us, he only asks us to obey his will. Don't try to figure out how tithing is going to work. Obey his will, tithe, and watch him do what only he can do. Don't try to figure out how you're going to, you know, how you're going to have a spouse if you say goodbye to the one who's not saved. Trust him. When he speaks it, do it. And watch what God will do. So here's Abraham. He gets up. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he looks up and he sees the mountains of Moriah. So it's really a ridge that would be the, the mountain of Moriah. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham has decided in his mind that if necessary, in order to keep his word, God will raise Isaac from the dead. We know that because in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he Trust God to do that. Now back to Genesis 22. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the offering? And that's the question you would be asking. Abraham answered, God himself will provide. The word provide there is the word yira or gyra. And it really means God will see or God will see to it. So we say provide, but it really technically is God's going to see. God's going to see to it. Where's the lamb? God will take care of it. God will see to it. 
And the two of them went on together. God's going to take care of it. Now, I want you to notice, so Abraham, he, you read the story, and, and uh, he offers Isaac. He gets ready to offer him. He puts him on the altar. He's getting ready, lifts his knife, is ready to slay Isaac. So it's an unbelievable story. You can't, I mean, it's just hard to imagine as a, a, any person being in that situation of Abraham. What I want you to notice, though, and just quickly, three things that happen when you and I obey God. This is an extreme example, but when you and I say, I don't understand, it doesn't make sense to me, I can't figure out how this is going to work, but because you said it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust you, I'm going to obey you, three things happen. Number one, when we obey God, he becomes more real to us. Instantly, God becomes more real. Some people have less of a sense of God with them because they don't obey God regularly. There's a lot of areas in their life where they're like, I'm not doing that. They do what they want rather than what God wants. And when you do that, you diminish the presence of God in your life in a way that you can sense him. Look at it in Genesis 22. Then he reached out, his hand took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. At that moment, Abraham is closer to God than he's ever been. Obedience does that. Obey God and watch what he does in revealing himself to you in ways you've never seen him before. That's especially true when we obey him in an area that's hard to obey. God reveals himself to us. Listen, God will never owe a person anything. And anything I give to God, anything I do for God, God is going to reveal himself to me in a greater way than I've ever known. There's a second thing I notice in this. When we obey, we understand our significance to God. I'm convinced people don't feel they matter to God or are significant to God because they don't obey God. But when you and I obey God, here's what happens. You get this sense that God not only sees you, but that God's involved in your life. And if God's involved in your life instantly, that gives you a new sense of, of your value to him and your significance to him. It's no longer, oh yeah, he hears this person when they pray or he walks with that person. No, God's walking with me. Makes such a difference in a person's life. Look at it in verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will see or the Lord will provide. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord, God will see to it or God will see you. You know, in other words, when you and I obey, God sees that's certainly a part of this. It's not just God gives, but God sees where you're at. He sees what you've done. He, he's watching you is a part of this relationship of God as Jehovah Jireh. He's not just the God who hands it out. He's the God who cares about you and has watched you and is watching over you and sees where you're at and cares about you and you matter to him because you're walking 
by faith with him, demonstrated in obedience to him. Number three, when we obey God, God blesses us and he blesses others. And this is, this is so significant. We have, again, too much of a tendency to view our spiritual walk with God in an individualistic sense. I walk with God. What does God do for me? How does it affect me? But the fact of the matter is that when we're walking with God, it, it affects people all around us. It affects your family. It affects your spouse, affects your kids, affects your friends, affects your coworkers. It affects people around you. It affects your roommate. It affects people. When you're walking with God, it makes a big difference. Look at this. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Anytime you and I make that decision, I'm going to obey God. God says, I'm going to bless you. God is always looking for an opportunity to do good in the lives of people. And when people are obeying him, God's like, I'm going to bless you. You're never going to do anything for God that he's not going to repay you. Ever. It's just his nature. It's how he is. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said, great. I'll give you a hundred times as much. You're never going to be able to say, well, I gave that up for God and now I'm at a loss or it's cost me. You give to God or you do for God, you obey God and God takes notice of it and he blesses you and blesses others. Watch, I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. Listen, when you and I, if I obey God, the people around me are blessed. If I obey God, you're blessed. If I disobey God, that blessing for you is diminished, aside from for myself. Here's what's interesting. Do you realize this is the first time that the word obey appears in Scripture? It's the very first time. And you know what's happening here? God is telling us that not only we need to obey him, but when we do, there's incredible blessings associated with that. And I just believe there's some people, and you're here tonight, and you're wrestling with the decision, and you know where God's at on it, or you're sitting in the presence of the Lord, and even as I'm talking about it, God is speaking to you and saying, you know, listen, this is what I'm asking you to do. And you've put it off, or you've delayed it, or you've, you've said, well, I don't understand. If I don't understand it, I'm not going to do it. And God is saying, listen, your understanding is not the issue, but your obedience is. And this, I, I just want to encourage you that whatever you do for God, however you obey God, and you do it by faith saying, God, I don't understand, but I trust you with everything I have and everything that I am. You're a better steward of it than I would be. And so whatever you ask, I believe is always going to be best. When you do that, you'll see the blessing of God. So whatever it is that God is asking you to lay down, let go of, or do, do it. 
and watch what God will do in response.